Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey, everyone, welcome to episode 81 of The Reclaim Leader, helping you lead change without losing your roots. I am Jason Tucker, here with Jesse Skiffington. How's it going, Jesse? Doing well, Jason. Glad to be on with you today. And uh, right at the heart of everything we're doing, and, and the reason we started this conversation in the beginning, was because we were in established churches, denominational churches, that needed change. And uh, we've had some experiences both good and hard and uh, all kinds of in-between on leading change. And we wanted to share that journey with other leaders in the local church and perhaps other organizations and nonprofits that are trying to lead change in their organizations for the sake of a mission. And leading change is is no easy task. And so today we're going to just dive in a little bit on some some specifics when it comes to how to lead change and some of the experiences that you and I have had in our particular churches. Every church is unique and different, but we're going to talk about our own because as you said before we hit record, Jason, sometimes it's just helpful as somebody walks you step by step through how change happened where they are and you can kind of translate that into your own context. So really looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah, me too. I think uh, a lot of the conversations that we have around leading change are high-level conversations. Today, I want to get more granular because I wish somebody had told me not just, oh yeah, we put together a vision team, but okay, how? Who was on that team? How exactly did you go about your meetings? And what I would love to do today is just to walk through a process which is based on a combination of you know our experience, um, Jesse, you and I in our different churches, on Bob Weitzel, Dr. Bob Weitzel, who's a friend of the podcast, uh, on his book, which um, it was actually my, it really hit me at the right time, preparing for change reaction, how to introduce change in your church. Also a class that I took with Bob Weitzel uh, for my doctor of ministry and a class that I took in New York City with um, uh, Dr. Kim and uh, Richard Mao of, on faith and work, theological vision. Um, for your ministry, which was really cool. It was all the Tim Keller's Faith and Work Initiative stuff, and it, w- it was really awesome. Um, but all of this then translated into an actual process that I used at Tower Hill as we were going through the biggest change that we've experienced so far, and that was the renovation of the sanctuary, the decision to use the sanctuary for contemporary worship, and everything around that. Now, we've talked a lot about the what needs to change, But what I want to focus on today is the how we did it. And so I thought what we'd do is we'd walk through a process and then Jesse, please weigh in because you've done a lot of similar things, just maybe framed in different language. Mm -hmm. And we could have a conversation about kind of how do we walk through with our churches, what needs to be changed, and then how do we actually do it? So this is assuming that you know what needs to be changed. You know that something is broken. You may not know exactly exactly what it's going to look like yet, but you have an idea. Maybe maybe it's a worship service. Maybe it's adding another service. Maybe it's to do with uh, mission or hospitality or a uh, kid's program, teenager program. It could be any number of things. It really doesn't matter because the process would be 
the same. So when I got to Tower Hill, it was, you know, it, everybody gives you the advice of, you know, don't change anything in your first year. Just And, you know, I mean, I sort of lived up to that. There were no big changes during that time. But what it did do is it offered me time to think about what needed to be changed, have conversations about the DNA of the church, which is really what you need to do first. Once you've identified something, really the first step is this, is step one, come up with a vision team for whatever your issue is. So in our case, it was we developed a worship vision team. The reason why you want to do this is because you don't want to just jump in. Even if you know the right answers, you don't want to lead this thing solo. You need to include as many lay people and leaders in your process as possible because, frankly, they're going to be here long after you're gone. And if you want real change to happen, you've got to include them. They have to be part of the process. I don't know about you, Jesse, but I know that my default is, you know, I kind of feel like I go into a cave and I come out with a great idea. Let's go. And and that's, that's really a, a big flaw that I have to guard against all the time is, is you got to then spin it through other people. That's right. I think one of, the, one of the tactics maybe that you can use as a leader, a visionary leader in particular, is to verbally process with other key leaders in your congregation, even on your staff team, maybe your elders or whoever the, the board is in your particular church context. And kind of just let them know that you're thinking along these lines and dreaming about things. And, uh, and then what that, for at least for me, has the effect of um, refining my own thinking, giving me clarity about the change that maybe needs to happen. And it actually deepens and enriches kind of the, the idea pool, if, if you will. Um, so once you kind of get clear on, on what maybe what needs to change, um, if, you're, if you're way up at the vision mission study as a whole church kind of level of change, that's a whole nother conversation and, and maybe a different process. But if there's a particular strategy or, or something that you're going to implement uh, related to change, then your next step, as you kind of notice this change, as Jason mentioned, get this vision team and start going to work. And so Jason, when you, when you got to that step, you said, okay, we need to introduce contemporary worship. We've run out of room in our other um, space we need to bring it into the sanctuary. And you knew that was kind of the change that needed to happen. Where did you go from there? How did you get that team? Who was on that team? What should yeah. we be looking for when it comes to a vision team? Yeah, great question. So I thought of it as a steering team, almost like a project steering team. In that whenever somebody asked a question about, hey, what's going on with the worship service? Well, the vision team has said this, this, this. It's not Jason says this. It's not you know, uh, the session says it, it's it, everything's coming from the team, which, of course, as the p- senior pastor, I have a big part of of that team and, you know, had a lot of influence on that team. But but sort of the same principle of Presbyterians in session is that it's a shared authority. And I think that's the message you want to get across. And I think regardless of whether whatever initiative you're working on, if it's successful, be careful about taking too much credit because then they'll start to believe that the only reason that they're successful is because of the pastor, which is wrong. And then, or, or secondly, if it's a disaster, you don't want to <laughs> That's right. You got to be careful. <laughs> so, so here's, here's what we did. And I, this was uh, advice from uh, Dr. Weitzel. Make sure your team is comprised of 
these kinds of people. You need a balance of strategic and tactical leaders. So strategic leaders are leaders who are going to talk vision, creativity, innovation. Um, and this is where a lot of pastors fall. They're strategic leaders. Make sure there's a mix of strategic and tactical leaders, though. You need doers. You need people who are going to help organize the details and plan for the contingencies. You need uh, detail-oriented doers as well as uh, head-in-the-clouds dreamers and innovators, and you need yeah. that balance on your team. For sure. And so as you're kind of looking to build a team, how, how did you guys go about identifying sort of strategically minded people and then sort of more tactically focused people? Yeah. How did you make sure that you had that balance and how, how do you know who to bring onto that team? Is it sort of a gut level thing or do you look at, you know, their, you know, whatever, like kind of look at their spiritual gift inventory from five years ago? Like, how do you, how do you find that? Yeah, I think it only comes by your experience working with people. So, um, what we tried to do was to choose kind of cultural stakeholders in the church where they represented different stakeholders. Not that necessarily that they spoke for them, but that they thought like them, but who also played well on teams because you have a lot of cultural stakeholders that aren't good on teams at all. They're not open. They don't listen. You need a, you need team players. And again, the only way that I was able to figure out was this was, this was, three years into my time here. So I had three years of working with people to discover what some of their gifts were, what uh, were they stakeholders in the church. So that really only comes organically, I think, um, unless you got somebody on staff who, who predated your, your time there and who knows others and who can kind of vouch and who you trust and say, oh yeah, that person's a great strategic or tactical person. I think that's really the only way to do it. Yeah. Is there any, as you're kind of looking at this team, is there a need for to, to make sure that these people, strategic and tactically minded people are on board with the vision, uh, the need for change. Uh, um, I wonder uh, kind of about that piece, because for me, I, I tend to kind of think at that level, I'm a strategic level kind of thinker. And so I, I look at people and I go, are these people on board with the general direction that we're heading in? they can bring a lot of different ideas and opinions and perspectives that will make the idea better and can tell me no if they need to and all those kinds of things. But if they're not on board with the need or don't understand the need for change, or if they're going to be resistant, um, how do you navigate that? Because I imagine some of those stakeholders might want to find themselves on that team for the very reason that they want to stick up for the status quo. Right, so how do right. You, how do you navigate that? Well, a couple of things I would say to that. First, first of all, you need people who are on board with your mission and vision. What we did do is make sure they were represented well. We had members of each of the adult generations in the team. We decided not to go with a youth person, which would be considered a Gen Z, probably back when we did this, maybe a late millennial, only because we needed really consistent, a lot of consistency, and we were going to do a lot of meetings. So, um, and most of those meetings were like, you know, at night on school nights and things like that. So, so we didn't do it that way, but, but they got to be on board with the mission and vision. There's plenty of opportunity down the road to get input from people who are not on board of the mission and vision, but the, really the steering team isn't going to work unless there's buy-in with the general direction of the church. I mean, they, they all really got to be pretty on board with that, I think. I think for any leadership team of any kind, this is so important because you can spend so much time fighting unnecessary fights if that's not the case. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, this is one of the things with our, when this is kind of a sidebar, but when it comes to selecting elders, you know, we have a nominating committee that, 
um, you know, discerns those who are called into leadership as elders in the church. But one of the things that I always say as a, as a member ex officio on that team, you know, <laughs> voice, not vote. I say, listen, to me, there's two things that matter a ton. Are they on board with where God is leading us? The vision, the mission, the direction we're heading in. And do they love Jesus? And if those two things are true, then, you know, you guys discern the rest. But if they're, if they have another vision in mind, for our congregation, other than the one that we've established as, as a leadership team, please, please don't do that to us because yeah. that's going to be destructive of, of our ability to accomplish our mission, frankly. And so the same thing with a vision team, you need people that can move together in the same direction, not in a group think kind of way, but who are on board with the, with, with the need for change or the vision that's been presented. And so I got to be thoughtful about that. You be careful, not just to warm body it, Right. There's a temptation right. to fill the team just to fill right. the team and get some people. And, and um, so I think this is the part where maybe going slow and getting the team right is as important as anything that's going to happen after that. It is. And I would say to that, this is why this isn't an insert in your bulletin. Say anyone interested in a vision team? That's right. This is not that. that this one. is personal so, invite kind of time, right? Exactly right. Yeah. There will be other opportunities to enfold the rest of the congregation, but not this opportunity. You and really we've actually, yeah, we found great success in, in any volunteer recruitment, honestly, of personal invites over bulletin announcements anyway, or whatever upfront announcements, because you never know who's going to say yes. And the hardest thing to do is, is to undo a volunteer. I mean, who wants to fire a volunteer? Right? So, so being thoughtful about our personal asks and, and those kinds of things. But in this case, really getting that team right, strategic people, uh, big picture thinkers, um, visionaries, people who have the experience of leading change and maybe in their workplace or who are leading organizations outside of the church. And then tactical people that are going to be able to put some boots to the ground, rubber meets the road kind of people that can take things and run with it. And when you get to the end of the meeting and you have your smart goals for as a team or however you do divvy out the assignments and all the strategic people like look at their feet because nobody wants to do anything other than talk about what we're going to accomplish. The tactical people will be like, give me, give me that piece. I'll tackle that piece because they <laughs> exactly. like that tangible ability to go and execute or follow up, or make a phone call. The things that maybe you and I would go, oh, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> that's right. Those people, that's why they're there. And that's what yeah. that's how they feel like they can contribute best to the team. So anyway. Yeah, pa- Pastor, Teresa, pa- Pastor Teresa, who we had on the podcast uh, last fall, uh, she used to say, she's a, a tactical leader. <laughs> she, used, she used to be so great with me because I'd come in and I, I've had like six new ideas. And she'd be like, okay, we could do one of those. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, and because uh, she was so great at making it happen. She's like, that's great, Jason, but we're going to need this, 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 this. Do you have any idea what how much work that's going to be? Um, you know that it's a yeah. tactical person when they ask questions like, what are some of the unanticipated outcomes or unintended consequences of this decision? Or they're yeah. thinking like a little bit more on the ground. How many people is this going to take? Um, uh, how disruptive is this going to be to, you know, they kind of look at that, the imp- the what the impact's going to be on the ground level. Whereas you and I were, we're like, this is going to be great. It's going yeah. to be awesome. We're good. <laughs> That's right. right. So, um, and then one, one more thing about forming your vision team is what we tried to do. And this is what uh, Dr. Weitzel recommends is try to have a balance of newcomers and longtime members. I, I think that's more important than even I realized at the time, mm-hmm. because you need the institutional memory as part of your conversation. I think that's really important, but you also need, a new, new thinking and new eyes or newer eyes. Yeah. yeah. People that can look and, and we, we've talked about the ugly couches and 
the fresh eyes, you know, um, the things that we've come to know and love and just accept as if that's just, you know, cause we don't even see it anymore. Cause we we're so used to it. New people bring that fresh perspective and say, have you noticed that, you know, um, there's in our church, there's a, um, for a long time, we had this, this old communion table in the back of the sanctuary and it had a dusty big old Bible on it and some, and then there was this floral, a floral arrangement where there were fake flowers and they were, awful. I don't know why they were there, but all of us who had been part of the church for, you know, a long time and those that had been there for decades, it was just part of the the canvas of the church. It was it was just there in the room and we didn't even notice it anymore. And it wasn't until somebody new came along and said, "Why are these why are these flowers here? This is this is awful." And we were we all we all stopped and looked at it and went, "Yeah. Those are awful. Let's get rid of them." Right? So sometimes if you don't have that new perspective, um you miss out on on some things that are just obvious with fresh eyes that maybe those of us have been around would miss. And then on the other part of that, if you don't have the institutional history, if you don't have that person that understands the dynamics of the relationships that exist in the church and all the stakeholders and the various groups and all the ways that they think in the history, you're going to run into minefield after minefield after minefield. If all you have is new people on that team with really great intentions, but no idea who they're going to upset along the way. So yeah. Anyway, that's a lot for our team stuff, but so, so important. I think, but I think it's, I think it really is that important and requires that much thought. You know, I think the other piece about building that team, um, you know, that, that you really want to make sure of is that it's, and we've said this before in previous podcasts, but make sure it reports direct, directly to your governing body. So it doesn't get all jammed up in a committee or a team somewhere. That's so suffocate, let it report. So have them report directly to whoever the decision makers are. Now, do you, in your team, when you guys launched this vision team for the the new worship experience in the sanctuary, did you have an elder on that team? Did you have a few from your your senior leadership team in there and some staff or what was kind of the, the really nuts and bolts mix up? Who, who, who was on that team? Actually, it was um, both pastors and then lay people at the time. I actually, now, now I think of it, one of them may have been an elder. I think, I think one of them was an elder. So if it's the right elder, the right personality, the right yeah. kind of the things we've talked about, then, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have elders on that team. No, it can, it can be helpful if, if it's the right person to kind of create that communication back and forth with the, with the, um, the session or the senior leadership team. I think, whatever. I think it's a person that I, that I would have picked anyway. She just happened to be an elder as well. And, um, I, I think that's a good insight that it, it doesn't necessarily have to be elders. And what we did was is at least at first we had separate meetings with staff and I would sort of run by what was going on with them. And, you know, so that they were in the know about where we were in the process, but also that I didn't bring them in too early in the process because what happens with staff, and I'm glad you brought this up because this is super important, is that if you bring them in too early in your thought process and you have a half-baked idea, they start getting stressed out about something that you don't even know what it is yet. That's right. Change brings a lot of stress to your staff. Oh, what's this going to mean for me? And and because we don't always have the best track record of how we introduce change, right? Because we we're visionaries, we're we're strategic leaders. And so we come back from a conference and then we were like, we need to try. And then everybody (laughs) breaks down into tears in the staff meeting. And we're like, what, what are you, why are you crying? This is a good idea. Right. But it's exactly, it's anxiety. Even if it's no crying at Marine View. That's right. That's messed up, dude. (laughs) No crying in ministry. Wait a minute. Yes, there is lots of it. But, but here's the thing. Um, it makes sense, right? 
it's, it's stressful. It's anxiety producing, even if it's a good idea. Um, and so being thoughtful about when you have what conversation with which group of people, and you want to bring your staff in fairly early. So they have buy-in, they have input, but they don't need to be on the ground floor necessarily of every kind of brainstorm because it might, it might create undue anxiety. And, um, you want to be thoughtful and careful about that because they've got a lot that they're already doing. Uh, and a lot of high level leadership that they're already doing. And so anyway, really important dynamic uh, that you mentioned there. And um, hopefully that's part of the vision team as, as they work, they're, they're having those conversations, they're brain kind of verbally processing and brainstorming alongside some of your staff team anyway, in, in an appropriate way. So really good point. Yeah. And also um, we decided I, this, this may seem really granular, but we decided that we were going to meet every week and that we wanted an even number of people so that the pastor was not the tiebreaker vote. You're scared of your responsibility. I see. I see how it is, Jason. Well, again, we want it to be consensus. That's right. Let's just drill down on that for a minute, because when it comes to a vision team or any sort of task force kind of thing and voting and session, I'm not a huge fan of, of calling for a vote early on, if it's going to be split or even close to split. Exactly. So what if you get your way, half the group almost is going to be opposed to it. And so I think this is where as Christians, this is where we're a little unique, maybe from the work world or something, but we really do have the Holy Spirit to be present and active in those conversations and to be discerning the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we ought to be working toward consensus in a group. And if somebody just for whatever reason is just adamantly opposed to something, um, and they, they need to register that and say, no, I'm opposed, but I'm willing to go along with the team, but I need to let you know I don't, I don't agree with that. That's okay. But if it's half the group, it's probably not time to move forward anyway, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. I would just scrap it and wait to call, even call for a vote. Or, or continue to, to, to discern until consensus does come. And, and, table it, table it, table it, yeah. Table it, right? <laughs> um, <anyway>. Mayday. Mayday. <laughs> But uh, um, so that's your team. That's developing your team. And and again, we met once a week and we ended up meeting for, I would say it was a good two months before we came back to session with a draft of a plan. And, and, the, and the draft of the plan also included some other inputs that were necessary. So now this is step two. Step two is inputs. And, and what do I mean? I mean, you're, you're information gathering, you're getting data, you're measuring, you're performing a SWOT analysis. I know I say that. I know some people already are rolling their eyes, right? There's nothing to roll your eyes about, man. If you're not doing a SWOT analysis <laughs> consistently, you're just tricking yourself into something. So, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's a business, you know, business kind of term. But the idea is you need to, you truly need to count the cost. You need to know exactly what you have on your hands uh, it, with the environment in your church so that you can make the best possible decision and bring as many people with you as you can. Yeah. So when you're introducing change, this is, this is so crucial, no matter if it's a small change or a big change, the stakes are maybe different, but you need, you need to work on having a really accurate sense of who you are as a congregation, not five years ago, not 20 years ago, certainly not even maybe six months ago, depending on what all is going on. What's who are we right now and what impact will this change have on us right now? Um, how are we set up to implement it? Well, what challenges might come? And so a SWOT analysis can give us some really useful uh, conversation, really useful, potentially information, depending on how far we take it to, to really know the environment that we're 
introducing change into, right? Isn't this what we're kind of talking about here? That's exactly right. I mean, how the heck, how are you going to build anything if you have no idea about, about the ground, (laughs) right? I mean, you, you can't, I mean, there could be an underwater river right there, like just below the surface. I mean, you don't know whether it could be a cavern, a sinkhole. You have no idea. You don't know how, how deep the pilings need to go. You don't own any of that stuff until you start to investigate. And this is why it's so important. So let me, let me land let's, yeah. this. Let's, let's, let's drill down yeah. in it and land it down a little bit on. Yeah. On, go ahead. So for us, here's what we knew if we were going to move into the sanctuary. Um, we had to look at the history of this church and the people who were here, primarily traditional worshipers first, and say, what kind of an impact will it have to bring in the necessary technology and other things we need to do for contemporary in a way that, that doesn't get them so upset that they leave, right? right? So we had to <laughs> determine what are different changes that have happened before? What, are, what kind of things will we need to consider um, because our our core value was that we were not going to diminish or get rid of or in any otherwise sort of sully a traditional worship. We we wanted it to be successful. We think it's in everyone's best interest that both services styles thrive. And so, how do we make sure that that thrives with the disruption of whatever change this is going to be? And so, we actually we spoke with a lot of people. We, um, we dug into our, we got this great history. You know, I think just about every church has a history that was made every, they were there for a hundred years or something. There's a, a book that they make and we dug into all of that. We talked with people. We, we even spoke with, you know, every church uh, has kind of a legendary pastor that was once there. And you know, we have a, our fellowship halls named after him. And, you know, there, there's some family that we see from uh, her uh, daughter comes up occasionally and uh, we even spoke with her. We, we talked with as many people as we could. And what we made sure we put at the front of that is we were getting information. So how did we do that? We had in, individuals in our team go out and ask people. We identified people to go talk to. And then we did kind of town hall style meetings that we invited the congregation to, to get input. And it was during those meetings, as we're gathering input, we were saying things like, man, it's amazing. Our, the legacy of this church is going to continue to thrive because over here in our fellowship hall, we've grown so much with young families that we, we have to move into the sanctuary. And so we want to make sure that we do it in a way that, that honors who we've always been and, um, and yet makes it possible for something new. So it was up from the beginning, it was gathering information, but we did it conversationally. Yeah, that's so important. And and it creates a sense of maybe potentially excitement, buy-in. I've been heard, even if I don't agree, some of that. We actually called one of the big uh, first um, elements of change that we introduced when I um, stepped in as the head of staff uh, was uh, to make some pretty big changes to our physical building, just like you know you guys did in the sanctuary. We did some other places. And we called it the vision and legacy campaign for that very reason, right? wow, look what God's doing. Look where he's leading us. And wow, do we get to honor where we've been and who we've been and all those that have come before and somehow carrying those things in tension, especially in established churches. And, and frankly, probably even in newer non-denominational churches that have been around for 10 or 15 or 20 more years now have some of that. Finding that balance between the vision and the legacy and, and, 
and honoring both is it was what's going to allow you to move forward effectively. And I heard you you doing something else in that SWAT phase too that I think is so crucial. You're asking questions, 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 yeah. and questions have a way of refining vision. And we'll talk about this a little later, some mission and strategy. But when you ask really good questions, man, is it is it help you sort through what are the what are the key challenges we're trying to solve? What are the the potential you know pitfalls and and hurt feelings and all those things? And what are we trying to accomplish? And when you ask those questions, not just in your team but in your congregation. It, uh, it has a way of clarifying what the final outcome will be. And I imagine what you started with in your head of what the sanctuary would be like in a contemporary way. Probably there's some of it there, but I imagine it changed pretty dramatically into something even better than you ever thought Absolutely. by the time you went through the whole process. You, so You are so right on. You, yeah. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. So don't be afraid of questions. Ask questions. Questions are actually your friend and inviting lots of people into the conversation. <laughs> as scary as that is as a leader, because you know somebody's going to bite your head off or talk to you about some other change that went sideways or why they hate, you know, drums in the church or whatever is going to come up. All of those conversations matter uh, for the overall outcome that you're you're working towards. So lean I'll into give, give you a funny example of that. So the big issue that kept coming up with our more traditional members was they knew that coffee was part of the culture and are they going to be bringing coffee into the sanctuary? That was the big concern. In fact, that was the biggest concern. Isn't that awesome? How, it, you never would have guessed that beforehand, would you? No, Yeah. no. And the funny part is, is I'm like, you know what we could do? And so here, here I go into, you know, innovation mode. You know what we could do? We can make these really cool uh, wooden like little coffee holders in the back of the pews. And you would have thought I told people to go sacrifice their firstborn. <laughs> the, the, the reaction was so awful. Right. People were furious that I would even suggest that. But here's the good thing is that because we had the conversation, I dropped it immediately. <laughs> right. It's what is it worth? You know, maybe coffee in the sanctuary there's a lot of churches. We bring your coffee in. We have a yeah, we do that. We, that's what we ended up doing. But <laughs> but eventually, right? But in the moment, there's no reason to fight that fight, right? Exactly. Uh, so you got sometimes you have to keep your eye on the prize a little bit in the midst of all the feedback because anytime you introduce something new, um, depending on the personality and wiring of that person, their their gut response. We're all at core, even if we're early adopters. There's something in us that's resistant to change. Yeah. Right. There's a reason why we're here now because we like it the way it is, or at least have gotten used to the way it is, and we're we're okay with the way it is most of the time. We might, you know, with a few tweaks. So when you introduce change, it's natural that people are going to push back, especially you know if you go so far as trying to bring coffee into the sanctuary, Jason. That's just insane. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean honestly, it makes sense, right? That people would respond um, maybe in a way that you go, man, that seems like an overreaction. But change is. Change, as we know, is tricky, and we got to invite people into the conversation so that they can come along on the journey. And we had a, a good example of this. Um, we just did something um, this uh, month. We're doing a series, a message series on on worship, what it means to be a living sacrifice, and what is worship. And we're talking about dry bones coming to life, and uh, just we wanted to create a different environment in the sanctuary. And so we we put a it's marine view, so we have a great view of Puget Sound and. It's, you know, usually beautiful this time of year. And so, 
you know, people come because that's, that's part of the environment is, is being in a sanctuary where there's all this natural light. stuff. so we put in a curtain and we closed off all the windows down the side and put in, 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 in some of the lighting, some red filters and things to make it just a little different environment for this worship series to eliminate distractions, a little more anonymous, a little bit more intimate. And one of the things we forgot to do was to let a couple of our ushers know that that's what was happening. So when they showed up that first Sunday of the series and they walked into a dark room, which we were just testing and we didn't have all the lights on that we were going to have on. And it was legitimately dark. It, the response was not good. Right. And, and because change, it just is unsettling. It's unnerving. Even if we end up liking it a week later, one of those ushers came and sat down with me and said, I I just want you to know, I really love this series and I love what you're doing. I wish you guys would have told me ahead of time so I could have been excited instead of mad. And right. So bringing people into the conversation, even if it's something small and that's the communication part that can be tricky as you're leading change, um, keeping people in the loop, being transparent, um, having lots of conversations, town halls and helping people come along, depending on the scope of change, obviously. Yeah. Do it differently. So the SWOT analysis is is crucial. It's, crucial. it's you can't skip this step. You can't go from vision team to implementation phase without this intermediate time of sitting with it, bringing people in, having conversations. If you skip this step, you might be able to land the change that you want, but man, are you going to cause some problems along the yeah. way? Right? Yeah. And, and just in case anybody doesn't know, because I didn't know this at the time, what SWAT stands for: strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. That's right. So you identify so, all those things. Yeah, and that's a good, just a simple exercise with even your your staff or your leadership team. What, what's what are we really great at right now as a church? You know, what are we best at? Um, what are what do we need help with? What are where are we falling short? Um, opportunities in our community or in our church to grow and get better. And then threats, that's kind of a weird one. Challenges, maybe you could change it or something. Threats would be, you know, in the business world, it would be the competing business down the road is better than us or something. Mm-hmm. And we we don't really think in those terms as a church, um, you know, the church down the road is better than us. At least we shouldn't. Hopefully we're not. It can get competitive sometimes. But threats would be things like pushback to the change or right. groups that won't be on board or, um, a threat might be, you know, uh, funding or something, a challenge that exists. So that threat part is really some of the challenges or obstacles that might come up as you uh, introduce the change. So yeah, I love the SWAT stuff and us leadership types. We get geeky about that. <laughs> don't dismiss it, Jason. Don't, don't no, let people off the hook with saying right. they're going to roll their eyes. No, this is important stuff. This is good stuff. And yeah. so, um, again, this is still just step two and, yeah. and this takes some time. And that's, that's okay. Right. Let it take some time. That's right. Because um, you're not only doing a SWOT analysis, you're also gathering other inputs. So, for example, in this instance, we had to work with um, a, a company who was going to outfit our sanctuary with the audio and visual and lighting needs that we needed. And we need to get an idea of what that was going to cost, what we needed, how it could work with all of the kind of core values that we had. So we were also gathering that data at the same time. And this is before we really even kind of know exactly what we're doing. Because then then in the process, you're also developing and getting ready to develop kind of what's your your mission for what you're trying to do. Because part of the SWOT analysis, as you're looking at weaknesses, is you're looking at who are the people that we're currently not reaching and how is this change in particular going to perhaps speak to those people or, or, you know, in worship. 
who are the people that we are reaching? And that's why we're growing. How do we make sure we continue to reach them? Because it wasn't just the traditional worshipers we had to worry about with this change. We had to make sure that the, the sanctuary was going to feel tradition, uh, contemporary enough for our contemporary worshipers so they wouldn't rebel and say, I'd rather go back to the fellowship hall because it felt I liked the feeling in there more. So we actually had to overcompensate for that and, and make the environment better than the fellowship hall so that you know, our, our, our epic fail would have been for people after six months to be like, can we just go back to the way it was? Oh man. Yeah. That would have hurt really bad. Right. So really sitting with that SWOT analysis and, and that vision team for, for a significant time to really dial it in is, is so crucial. And you said something in there, you know, there's no guarantee of success in these things. Right. Yeah. And this is the hazards of leadership and the larger the scope of change, the bigger, the project, the higher the stakes and so I think, and I just made this a little pause on the conversation when we're talking through all this stuff, for some of us, maybe this gets you kind of going. You're like, I can't wait. I got an idea. We're going to try something. For some of you listening, you might be like, I'm so already worn out. You know, <laughs> yeah. like this just sounds exhausting to even do anything. But I, I would say this vision has this catalytic effect in our hearts. I think that God does something in us when we are when we step out to lead change and it is exhausting. It is hard. You will have scars and bumps and bruises because of it, but that's why we're here to be good stewards of our leadership. We have to be leading change in the local church, sitting still, maybe for a season, you you sit for a while, but we leading changes. That's our role. It's just what we're here to do. And, and, um, that's not an easy task. And, and it, frankly, it wears you out sometimes. So, you, you know, we're going to get into this in some future episodes, but how do you take breaks and get recharged? Right. But you gotta, you gotta lead change. Um, and we would encourage you if there's something that's been nagging on your heart in your congregation and you go, you know, that area, if we were just, if we had this, if we had that staff member, if we had this environment, if we changed the way that we do, and you just know kind of at a gut level that if you, if you made that change, something good would happen or could happen. Don't, don't ignore that. That's where you listen for that prompting or that tug of the Holy Spirit on your heart to, to lead that change for the sake of the, the mission of the church, the kingdom. I was just going to say that. loves that are outside. It's worth it, right? Yeah, it totally is. And I think we get so discouraged by the, the handful of voices that uh, are discouraging and get us down. And I, I don't remember who said it and it probably doesn't matter. Somebody great leader said it, but if you, if you let those voices hijack the vision and mission and get you down so that you don't try to introduce change, it's not just you and the church that will be impacted. It's all the neighbors outside of the church that God wants you to reach. It's, it's, it's thousands beyond your walls. It's the people that we get to know Jesus because of the children and youth that you help get to know Jesus in your church and that go on to serve in ministry somewhere. It's that the ripple effect is, is too wide to, to miss out on the opportunity to lead change. And so do it. Don't let those few negative voices get you down. Don't uh, miss this opportunity. And, and this is a pep talk for you and me as much as anything, Jason, because it's, it, it does wear you down after a while when you lead yeah. change. But keep going because um, that's the stuff that's worth it in the end and it's going to lead to the outcomes that we got into ministry for in the first place. Yeah. W- okay. well a little said. soapboxy. Well, well said. Soapboxy. No, that was perfect. And so those are st- just steps one and steps two, but those take a lot of time because if you don't get that part right, you can't get to the actual implementation. So what we're going to do is we're going to hit the pause button now um, on this episode 
And we're going to come back to steps three, four, and five in the next episode. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you the one critical thing you must do in order to be successful. How's that for a teaser? That's a good teaser, the man. I can't wait to hear it. Critical thing. All right. <laughs> uh, it, until then, again, I want to encourage you, if, if you're finding this podcast encouraging, uh, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. And uh, it helps people to find our podcast and listen to it and to uh, join us on our Facebook group, uh, Reclaim Leader, because uh, we got a lot of great conversations going on there. And of course, to our sponsor, Belay Solutions, we want to thank them uh, again for helping pastors and leaders to get those administrative tasks taken care of so that they can focus on what they feel matters most. And uh, until next time with part two of, uh, of this podcast, we'll, uh, we hope that this helps you to lead change without losing your roots. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey. 